we are in the middle of lots and lots of traumatic things right now, and we don't know where our students are coming from. So even if a student doesn't see themselves implicated on either side of the video, meaning the person who is doing the violence or the person who is being murdered, it might be too much for them right now. Hello, and welcome to the 30,000 Hours Podcast. Today is June 24th, 2020. I'm Monica Bolger, a PhD in education, and I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Jade E. Davis, Director of Educational Technology and Learning Management at University of Pennsylvania Libraries. Hi, Jade. Thank you for joining us. Hi, thank you for having me. Uh, Jade and I have spoken over the years about different issues um, affecting equity in education and also just good teaching and good learning and, and responsible use of technology in learning. And Jade, you posted recently a, um, a tweet about the need for, in this moment, uh, for teachers to be considerate and thoughtful about how they are talking about uh, the protests, about the violence, um, about pandemic with their students, because these might be moments that are um, upsetting, frightening, triggering, um, and overwhelming. And so if you don't mind, I'd love to hear your, your thoughts on that and then maybe step through how, how teachers can, can build in consideration of their students' needs here and, and present the information in, in a way that is open and safe for discussions and learning for students? Yeah, so I think one of the knee-jerk reactions, and we see this anytime there's especially a violent death uh, with police, the tendency is to share what happened. Like if there's a video, I should share it. If I had to witness this, then you all should witness it too. And I think people do it because it's a shortcut to having a universal experience of something. However, as much as I think it's important to bear witness for certain things, when we don't have the voice of the person saying, it's okay to watch me die in this way. And when we don't know who else will see it or how else it might be used. It's important to be cautious when we do that. There are other ways to talk about these things. It's a situation where if you've seen one of them, you've seen them all. And that's not to be dismissive. That's to say our collective memory typically already has an image like the one that recently circulated and so to show it again and to show one that is this long and this traumatic, it's asking a lot of people. It's asking them to take in a lot. And when we start looking at education and we start looking at the demographics of spaces in terms of who leads the conversations versus who is in the room, mm. we don't know if even the act of a person who is not reflected in the video asking people who might see themselves as the person being traumatized in the video, we don't know if that's re recreating that dynamic of violence. Uh, and so when I posted the tweets, I started seeing the thing that has happened since Ferguson really, where people are like, this thing is happening. People are talking about this thing. It's important. We should talk about this in our courses if we teach. 
let's create a syllabus. Right. And I was like, okay, sure, but not every course needs to talk about this. Not every course should talk about it the same way. And not every instructor is able to be open to it. And we are in the middle of lots and lots of traumatic things right now. And we don't know where our students are coming from. So even if a student doesn't see themselves implicated on either side of the video, meaning the person who is doing the violence or the person who is being murdered, it might be too much for them right now. Agree. I remember after Charlottesville, there was a hashtag uh, Charlottesville curriculum and, and uh, there were a lot of really useful, inf- you know, thoughtful types of resources. But what I started thinking about was so, so kids coming back to school because that happened in August, um, we're coming back to school and uh, being inundated in every course with with images from Charlottesville, with uh, assignments related to Charlottesville, and I think that there wasn't really that that moment of of questioning whether uh, how how this would impact children's mental health, how it would um, impact how they were um, approaching the, the topics and how they felt about learning, and also it's. It's something that we don't really think about a lot um, if, if you're not in education, but those of us who are think about this quite a bit, that these syllabi often aren't coordinating, right? So so you you might have every single subject teaching, teaching about this issue or other tr- equally traumatic issues like uh, school shootings or, you know, pe- everybody feels the need to become involved and they don't consider um, how traumatizing violence might be for a variety of reasons for for the students who are learning in these environments. Yeah, and I think when we're talking about things that are actively happening, we aren't allowing students time to process. And when we bring these things into a classroom space, and my experience is in higher ed, uh, we aren't taking into consideration that they might be in a room with people they don't want to know what they're feeling about this they aren't ready to talk to these people about this or they don't feel that they've had permission to talk about anything else so why should they open themselves up to a discussion of something where they will be seen in a way that will make it so they don't feel comfortable in that space anymore if students don't feel comfortable in the space or they don't feel like it's a safe space to share their opinion it is detrimental to their learning And there will be things that are going to be detrimental to their learning. And when you're teaching adult learners, you can say this is going to be a space where you're going to be made uncomfortable, but part of the reason is to engage so you can better position your arguments. There's nothing to say that the student has to agree with your point of view. Right, yeah, good point. Uh, And one of the things that I think about when people so desperately want to pull this in is what about the students who come from families where everybody's a police officer? Right. Like, what if that is the family business? And what if you have the student mm-hmm. that is now being inundated with all of these messages where they're having to reframe their family as bad and mm-hmm. they get to a class and it's like, I'm going to learn something. This is the space where I get to figure out who I am and the way things are positioned are positioned in such a way that you're asking them to do that again. This is actually reminding me of uh, when I interviewed you for a blog for Connected Learning Alliance, actually. And and we talked about it there, too, that oftentimes uh, 
classrooms should be safe spaces in a way. Uh, and, and as you said, classrooms are spaces where where students should be in adult in higher ed because that's my experience too can be made to feel uncomfortable and that's okay but not but but this is we're making them un- challenge their assumptions and this is a different kind of uh deep-rooted uh discomfort especially because this is ongoing and something you said then that i think really applies now is to be considerate that the assignments we're we're giving might actually put the student in, in, in jeopardy because our, our example was when we assign people to do videos or something about their political beliefs, um, which was happening during the elections when, when we last spoke, um, about this, uh, and, and in this circumstance, having, uh, yeah, having, having assignments that could potentially, uh, erode your sense of security or well-being or tackle something that you're already really trying to grapple with. Yeah. And I think it's fine for an instructor to have their political beliefs. And I think it's important that instructors feel comfortable bringing that into the classroom space so the students know where they are coming from. But when you start talking about things that are so intense, it can be hard to mediate that conversation. And that's the other thing that instructors are sort of electing themselves to do when they bring this into their classroom. It's to mediate this discussion that is going to be politically a live wire. And even if everybody in the classroom agrees on a stance, they might agree to it for different reasons. They might have a thing that's the most important thing that is in conflict with somebody else's most important thing. Um, One of the terms that I talk about a lot is the term ally because it's a war term. And to me, I I was thinking about it this weekend, actually, if you start looking at World War II, we had an alliance with Russia. We did not like Russia afterwards. Hmm. And this moment is a moment where people are forming allyships. They are not forming like collective let's move together this is all of our struggle it's uh as much as people say it's not all lives matter it feels like the approach a lot of times is oh interesting i i'm an ally to you right now in this moment and we should learn about this moment together because this thing has been happening to you for so long and it it continues to place certain people as needing the extra support instead of trying to figure out where a new foundation can be built and to work through that is a lot of work it's a lot of work and i feel like you did this work when you were teaching during ferguson and so these reflections are really you already have this experience of bringing this to the classroom and also seeing others bringing this to the classroom yeah and i think one of the things that allowed me to teach ferguson as it was happening and this was a situation where I believe Ferguson happened the week before we started class, just a few days. And I was teaching media and popular culture. So I already had a reason for talking about it because it was a thing that suddenly took over the entire news cycle for hours. Uh, I remember sitting up the night that it happened, just watching all of the tear gas canisters get thrown because it was something that had never happened before. And talking to my husband and saying, we don't go back from this. 
Yeah. There's no way to move back from what's happening right now because it's happening. It is on television and I don't think it's going to stop. And obviously we see the protests, they look exactly the same. It did not stop. But for students who were in media and popular culture, and it was a 400 level course, so it was a senior year course, it was theory heavy. Ferguson became a thing to talk about as a popular culture moment, but also a thing to talk about to learn how to talk with theory. So if we are going to talk about gender or race or hegemony or capitalism or all these wonderful big concepts, and we have this thing on the ground that's turned into a media event because none of us are in Ferguson, but we know what it is. How can we follow this narrative to see what's happening with it just so that we're aware that it's still happening because the other thing that it illustrated is how quickly these things disappear, even if they're ongoing. But it also became a thing where we could talk through some of the tensions of theory and we could allow the students to place themselves in a larger narrative that was based in media and popular culture. If it were another topic, I don't think I could have taught it that way. Uh, there would have to be another way in. And there are always lots and lots of ways in. Like, I'm still fascinated by the economics of military machinery being with the police departments. Mm. And what does it mean that the tear gas canisters are the same here as they are in the Middle East? So there's yeah. like all of these things. If we want to talk about why these things are banned in war, mm -hmm. there's a chemistry component to it. So all of these things always have something that is relevant that you could theoretically design a lesson around. But it's important to make sure that as you're doing it, you're doing it in such a way that it doesn't feel like extra work for you. And you're doing it in such a way that students understand why it's relevant to whatever it is that they're learning. And what you do when you're able to do that well across disciplines is that it speaks to the thing that you were mentioning about the lack of coordination. Suddenly it is automatically coordinated. But the other part for me politically if you're able to do that, and if people are able to think through these things from their own disciplinary, disciplinary lens and their own expertise, you start showing how this is a structural issue. Right. Like it's not just this one place. There is this entire structure that brings these moments into being. And it's a structure that recreates oppression. It limits the knowledge networks that exist. I promise every discipline, there is somebody who has written about the effects of racism in their discipline. Very true, very true. They aren't cited though. So they don't have a high enough score to be one of the top cited mm. journal articles or books. And we know why. You can go to sociology and see all the stuff on that. But we tend to hyper-focus on the event rather than trying to figure out what are the things that I can pull out to make it so I'm not ignoring this, but I'm actually allowing students that are with me for this reason to walk away with a tangible understanding of how this thing impacts the larger world. And as horrible as everything that is happening right now is, they're all symptoms of the larger world and culture. School so often functions as the space to make sense of of very difficult topics and to see these patterns and to broaden our understandings. I think that the structure that you're uh, 
that you've that you're talking about here could also be applied to high schools pretty easily um, to talk about the structures and to talk about the history and um, but I think I think that it's just too much to show children. Um, however, I, I recently listened to a great podcast with Jason Reynolds where kids called in with questions, with difficult questions, with questions about being afraid to walk outside because they're black and, and what does that mean? So even there, there seems to be an opportunity to talk about really difficult, upsetting, frightening topics in a way that can be um, educational for kids. Yeah, and I think at all levels, I, I think for kids and for adult learners as well, especially if you're talking about traditional college age students who are just stepping into their adulthood and their independence of thought, so to speak, it's important to provide resources so they can go somewhere, something is too much. Mm -hmm. Because as much as we want to shelter our children from these things, as much as we think it's inappropriate, they are aware of what's happening. Yes. My children, we hadn't talked about this, but their schoolwork is online and they have to do internet research and they use Google. So everything goes through Google and they still see some of the news alerts. Their video games that they play because they are home and have nothing else to do, not that they wouldn't be playing them otherwise. <laughs> they have chat rooms and people are talking about this stuff. So as much as I would like to believe that I could somehow shelter my children from this, I, I can't. And one of the other things that I thought about with this, just hearing what they're saying to each other or the things that sort of bubbled up as I realized that they knew what was happening out in the world was talking to them about, you know, what does this mean? What are you understanding about this? How do you see yourself in the thing that's happening? And I've talked before in other places about my children, they're half white and one of them looks white to white people. I don't personally think he looks white, even though I know he does, he just looks like my child right. and my other one is brown and their father is white. And one of the conversations I had to have with him in this moment where my children are being exposed to this and regardless of how they look, they know that they're black and they know that I'm black mm -hmm. is we have to talk about how you discipline the boys. Okay because you are a white man with a level of authority and they are not. And it's little things like that where we think kids are outside of it, but this dynamic, even if they aren't seeing the image is being illustrated to them in certain places that we might or might not be aware of. And so even if we don't show them the videos, it's important to just ask, have you heard anything? What do you know? And it's important to talk to them about how they see themselves in the dynamic or to try to ask them about it because if they're younger, they can't really say, well, you know, the fact that my father or my principal's white really bothers me as a non-white student. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Even if it's true, it's, it's a hard one to right. talk about. Yeah. It's a hard one to talk about, but you can start talking about areas where they're comfortable or uncomfortable and try to help them work through this as well. Because again, everything is online. They're in these shared spaces with other students who are more or less exposed than they are. So it, it doesn't make sense to assume that it's not there, which doesn't mean that it's something that needs to be the focus of a class. 
but they should be given resources if they need to talk to someone so that they have somewhere to go and they need to have some type of plan to step away and this is for younger students and older students if they get overwhelmed especially when you have things like pandemics protests police brutality all over the internet everywhere joblessness yeah there's joblessness climate change yeah, i mean there's so climate change the world just is so overwhelming when you talk to kids it's, especially it's overwhelming yeah. it's important to have some leniency where we let students know it's okay to step out if you have to mm -hmm. i'm going to check in with you for an adult student or for a younger student and so if you get overwhelmed let's come up with a plan so you can separate yourself and recenter and then join us again because yeah i i because i don't know what we can do otherwise we can't we can hope for the end of most of this stuff but all of these things are long-term projects those are such helpful and compassionate uh got recommendations guidance for for uh dealing with students now what about for teachers and this is this i think everybody's experiencing this at the same time but as you said we're all coming from it from different perspectives so what advice do you have for teachers to also you know have that moment where they can step out if it gets overwhelming as well take care of yourself yeah if you're a teacher take care of yourself don't take on more than you would be willing to deal with for the entire semester. If you need to show solidarity, but you don't want to teach this because it's too much or you don't feel that you're qualified to moderate that conversation, you can put information in your syllabus. And do not put yourself in the position of having to be a counselor to the students which is really hard to do. But I think these opportunities are really good points, especially if you're in higher education, to educate the students on resources that are available to them that might not have been available to them before. So normalize things like the counseling centers. Try to find ways for students if they need to set up groups to set up groups. Work with the resources you have available so it doesn't become you as the teacher or professor feeling responsible for making sure your students are able to understand this thing. Because even if this is your area of expertise, none of this is understandable. All of this is sort of just at an intensity that is outside of what we thought was possible, both negatively and positively. Um, negatively, I'm thinking about the number of pandemic deaths right. and positively, I'm thinking about the impact of the protests and the fact that they're still going and that the world joined in. And as you were talking, I was thinking that still when I think of teaching, I'm thinking of it in classrooms and mm -hmm. we also have the added intensity that this, that m most lessons will still be happening within the child's home or within the adult student's yeah. home. And the teacher that they're teaching from their homes as well. And so that adds yeah. a whole level of how this can be personally affecting people. And also they don't right. have that sense of escape that you, you do get when you go to school. Right. And that's why I think 
it's always important to set your own limits and set what you're comfortable or not comfortable discussing and being okay with that and being upfront with students about that, especially if you're you're at a university or college, say, I know this is going on and I know it's important. However, the focus of the class will be this. Right. Yeah. That might be relieving to some students <laughs> to know that at least in this space, I get to focus on something else. But the other part, especially now, is you, I had done a really, I was so proud of myself at my last job because I would go home and I would not open my laptop and then work would end. And it was really, really great. And then um, I switched jobs shortly after the pandemic started, but it went from going to sleep and waking up at one job to going to sleep and waking up at a new job the next day. And I found that because there's not that break, I can't turn it off. And we have to do things to replenish ourselves. And I think the spring semester was not a normal semester for any educator. No. And as much as there was no ability to plan for this, and theoretically the fall should be planned better. However, <laughs> it's going to be a lot of work. It's the nature of teaching. It's always a lot of work, but teaching remotely in the midst of a pandemic to students all over the world, potentially, it's asking a lot of people. It is. And at a time when the world is asking a lot of people and it's okay to retreat into the things that feel comfortable as long as you aren't taking it out on your students. That's a good, that's a good caveat. <laughs> and and it, I, I'm so grateful for your point about that we, that teachers do not need to be counselors to the students, that that is uh, a service that's offered because uh, I think that that's, it's a hard thing to say no when, when you're confronted with so much need right now, you know? Yeah. And, but we do, teachers do need to protect their own mental health as well. Um, yeah. And, um, teaching with compassion is, is part of contributing to that mental health and mental well-being for the students. And, uh, that's possible without turning into like a 24 seven counselor who's available. Yeah. 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 And if the other thing that might happen, given the amount of things that are going on is there's always the joke about a classroom turning into a group therapy place. Right now, we really need group therapy. Yes, true. <laughs> like we, we, like we do. People, we are not given the space to process these traumatic things with others. It's not a normal part of culture, and it's something that right now I'm like, ah, I'm so glad I had group therapy as a teenager, <laughs> <laughs> and I want everybody to have access to it because it to be in a space where you're supposed to talk about these things in that way is really, really helpful. And when we bring these things into the classroom, I think that I, I get concerned when I see some of the syllabi that are being created because it feels like people are trying to do that in their classrooms mm -hmm. and it devalues their expertise, but it also forces students to see that classroom space as one that is, it might be reparative in a certain way, 
but it's not giving them the tools that they hope to get from the classroom that will help them be successful in the future or understand something differently in the future outside of themselves. So it should be there. Like I, I'm not saying that I don't think a class shouldn't be a reflective space. I'm, it just has to do a little bit more. Yeah, there's also the dimension that if they're being graded, then it turns into this very strange, surreal. Oh, see, I hadn't even been thinking experience. about that because I'm so like, no, great. I know, yeah, I know, yeah. I know, <laughs> and and um, I know. Often, as as a teacher, I would say, you know, like everybody, everybody gets an A on this assignment. Let's just, you know, to open up for honesty or whatever, or this this won't be graded or or whatever. But but there is that odd dynamic happening as well uh for a lot yeah of, for for classes where there are grades that then it's like well what gets me an a <laughs> you know? right yeah no the ferguson thing when i was teaching the ferguson it was absolutely a non-graded portion of the class it was a warm-up conversation to talk about a current event that was a big current event and an overtime current event and it was a place to practice thinking differently about an event because there's an obvious narrative to all of these things, but we are learning all these other narratives that might exist. So it was really the first five to 10 minutes of the class. That was when we would have our Ferguson discussion. And then we would get onto the material for the course. But I couldn't imagine having made that something that would be graded for students because they were all coming at it from such different angles. And that's not something I would want to impose on them. If they felt like imposing something like that on themselves, that's fine. <laughs> right. Yeah. But um, but I, I didn't think it was my place to force them to have a sustained deep, deep engagement and a research engagement with the topic because it was too raw and too new. Thank you. I think that this is really important for teachers who are planning their lessons as we speak and their syllabi. And um, I too have seen some disturbing syllabi or concerning syllabi. So <laughs> to be a little more. Learning's a good word. <laughs> Jade, thank you so much for your time. Were there any closing thoughts you wanted to leave us with before we wrap up? Uh, I think one of the things that I've spent a lot of time thinking about recently is empathy and just some of the discomfort I have around it. And one of the reasons why I think about it a lot is because it tends to think that there is a right side to things. And it tends to think that feeling the right way about things will somehow make the world better. And I don't know that that's true. And I think that we're in situations where there are obviously things that are really bad happening but they are really, really complex things and they are structural things. They are things that are embedded in power structures that none of us can change on our own. When we're teaching these things, rather than trying to get our students to be in the right position or on the right side of thought or feeling about them, it's more important to give them a pickaxe to pick at ice and to think that maybe if I'm able to put enough of these in students' hands, enough people will be moving in a way that they understand that they feel is justified to chip away enough to cause structural change because a single professor, a single class, a single student can't do it. 
And I think what we're seeing with the protests is that if you really do get a critical mass, things shift. These structures are not permanent structures. They're just ones that are really, really supported with power. And we've seen that change in the past, so we can see it change again. And education is a part of making sure that can happen. Thank you so much, Jade. I've just been so grateful for our conversations over the years, and I'm just delighted to be able to share your inspiration and insights with the world uh, in the, in this podcast. I know uh, you share them in your amazing writing and your and tweets and presentations, and it's just so wonderful to have a little piece of your time today uh, to discuss these really critical issues. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me.